friends, welcome to another episode of Overlooked Giants. I am Asati Nu, and in this episode, I'm meeting with vocalist, guitarist, and composer Gay Adegbalola. A true griot of our time, both through her music and just easy conversation, I am glad to now know her. I was first introduced to Gay through a mutual friend, and even in our email conversations, it became quite evident that I could sit and listen to her talk for hours. In addition to being a queer Black woman of color artist, she is also a powerful activist. The work that she has done over the years, not just in her own community, but across the nation, is what my grandmother would have referred to as fighting the good fight. I'm grateful for her story and even more grateful for her decision to sit and share it with us. Well, my name is Gay Elena Todd. And I use an African name, Adegbalola. Uh, my my government name is Pitchford, but I don't use that much. Hmm. Only for the paperwork. Gotcha. Um, born, raised, still live in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Hmm. Tiny little town midway between Washington and Richmond. Uh, it used to be an hour either direction. It takes longer now for the traffic. Uh, very southern, uh, historic town. This was uh, George Washington's boyhood home, his sister's home. His sister's husband made all the ammunition for the Revolutionary War, and a major Civil War battle was fought here. So I tell you that just to give you a kind of flavor of the town. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the houses here are old. Um, a lot of people look at and respect white history anyway, but so much of the town was um, built by black folks. And um, my mother's people were from Massaponics, which is Spotsylvania, which is right near Kunta Kinte land. Mm, okay. okay, Kunta Kinte was down around Partlow. She was in Massaponics, which is like one segment of the county over. It's still Spotsylvania County. Um, her people obviously were were raped by white folks because the family, one is dark, the next is light. The one after that is light, the next one is dark. The dark ones happen to be Jackson's. The light ones, the light ones are Jackson's and the dark ones are Beverly's. Uh, we kind of like don't know which is who. Hmm. Never knew which is who. Uh, my mom was raised by, and this is, might be more detailed than you want, oh, but it's is, very much a part of who I am. Yes, ma'am. Um, this is exactly what I want. <laughs> okay. My, my mom was raised by her aunt here in Fredericksburg because her mom went to work for rich white folks in D.C. So my mom always missed that mother connection, but her aunt was like her mother. And consequently, she was like my grandmother. Um, She, Aunt Lena, who I'm named after, Gay Alina, Aunt Lena could neither read nor write, but she created my mom. Mm -hmm. And the money that her birth mother made allowed her to go to um, high school at Virginia State what is now Virginia State University, was Virginia State College. So she went to high school there and then finished uh, what was normal school, which was teaching. Mm -hmm. So my mom went into teaching and indeed what a wonderful teacher she was um, and has done all kinds of things to benefit black youth. My father was from uh, Philadelphia born and raised in Philadelphia, and they met down here at a USO dance, fell in love. And um, I didn't see him until I was two years old because he was in the army, World War II. Came home, he stayed here in Virginia and um, had his own business for a bit and had to scuffle, really had to fight the powers that be to get a decent job in government. Um, But he was by far, the most creative person I've ever known. So I am blessed. I'm, I'm an only child. I regret that. I'm really, really 
uh, sorry about that. But then again, I got all the love, you know, love, <laughs> the love wasn't just divided. I got all of it. And right. I got my mother's organizational skills. She organized this town in such a way that she was able to get a playground for black youth. She organized it in such a way that she was able to get a canteen for the teenagers. She organized it in such a way that she got a black mayor elected uh, and school board members and city council members. I mean, she could she could get the people out to vote and God knows we need her now. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was also the youth, uh, the youth, uh, what do you call it? The youth director or the youth leader uh, of the youth chapter of the NAACP. And she organized and coordinated the sit-ins here in Fredericksburg. So, um, and then my dad, on the other hand, anytime anybody had a fundraiser, he would teach people how to dance. He could draw posters. He would get uh, uh, people from the pool room to be singers. And uh, on the other hand, my mother would get the number runner to be the queen in the fundraising pageant. You got it? So she had immense organizational skills and he had immense creative skills. And I was blessed to have um, both of their talents Mm -hmm. put in me. Drives me a little crazy. I can imagine. I'm a little bit, I'm a a little, I'm a tad anal. (laughs) And at the same time, my mind is going too fast. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's uh, that's that says something about my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up when, with things being totally segregated. Uh, I, I say apartheid. I grew up in apartheid mm-hmm. and uh, went to a colored school. It was colored at the time. Then it was Negro. Now it's black and I'm going to keep it black. I like black better than African-American. You know, African-American, you just don't know what part of Africa you're talking about. This is true. You know, I mean, it's a big difference between uh, Algeria and Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. So A to Z. I was like, yeah, that was real cool, gay. (laughs) That was real cool. (laughs) So um, let's see. Um, My graduating high school class was 21 people. Uh, my parents busted ass to send me up north to school, and I went to Boston University. I majored in pre-med, hmm. and, um, I, you know, I, I even got my degree in biology, minored in chemistry, uh, but I was supposed to come back home as a great, you know, black hope. I was supposed to be a doctor when I came home. <laughs> that did not happen, and it did not happen basically in just a few words, because gay like to party. Mm. And um, and I really enjoyed party. When I went up north, I thought things were going to be different, but uh, it was, uh, you know, covert instead of overt. The racism mm-hmm. was still palpable, especially in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did learn a lot. I, I learned so much more than if I had stayed here and gone to Virginia State college myself because I learned about different cultures. Hey, <laughs> my freshman year, I, I room with a gold farm. My sophomore year, I room with a goldsmith. <laughs> my junior year, I worked with a gold, I was, I, I room with a Goldberg. My senior year, I live by myself. There you go. So there you go. Yeah. And, um, and fortunately, um, uh, sorority saved my life. I hmm. pledged Delta, and okay. it was a it was citywide, and so you had to you had to pay, pledge for like six months because you only saw each other on the weekends. Um, you know, it'd be one one girl from MIT and one from Tufts and one from Emerson and one from Boston College, right. that kind of thing. Right. But uh, thankfully. You know, I mean, because I was I was the party girl down here, and and you know, I was I was a big fish in a small pond or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when I got up there, in the blink of an eye, my whole social life was erased. Um, so you you pledged Delta. Uh, uh-huh. 
Uh, I'm an AKA, by the way. <laughs> oh, beautiful girl. Okay, well, that means you're disciplined. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but See, um, I like to party. What can I tell you? Well, okay. I, you know, I think we all like to party. And it sounds yeah. to me like that's, that's from but was, You know, basically, it was just about the colors. God right. knows, pink and green. <laughs> I mean, come on now. I could not, there's no way in life I could wear that. I could not wear pink and green. Right. Red, I can wear all day and night. (laughs) I can wear red. Yeah. Now in the, in the sororities um, Mm -hmm. and during the time, even when you pledge, this is, you know, I'm just curious to know, um, at that point, was there, and I know in the South, there was a big color divide between um, the sororities in terms of if you were lighter than a paper bag and so on and so forth. Was that something that was prominent in, in Boston? No, and I no, never even heard of that. Mm. I had never heard of that when I pledged. I never, mm. I heard people talk about it later on, but it never, ever crossed my mind. And the interesting thing is, is that when I came back home, as it happened, um, Several of my best friends also pledged Delta, and we hadn't had any conversation about it. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it was just the, that uh, pink and green. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it's a strange combination. But anyway, um, <laughs> I remember when uh, when Kennedy was shot, all of us were so upset because they canceled the Panhellenic dance. Oh, wow. Oh, that was going to be the big thing. <laughs> Oh, it was yeah, going to be yeah. major, major, major. Um, yeah, so, you know, things like that. Um, but anyway, I came, um, let's see, I left Boston, lived in D.C. for about a year and a half. Okay. I did not like D.C. I worked for TRW uh, Systems, which was a um, mainly space age place. It still is um, in the administrative side. I, I was a technical writer then. Okay. Um, and left there because now I'm ready for the big city, and I moved to New York uh, with one of my one of my line mates, uh, who happened to go on to uh, be the um, technical instructor for Alvin Ailey Dance Troupe. I mean, we oh, had wow. some really really uh, progressive people on on my line, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, you know, she's since passed. But uh, so we we lived in New York. And during that time is where I learned my culture. You know, during that time is when um, is when I uh, stopped straightening my hair. That was a really, really big deal back then. That was in 68. And haven't straightened it since. Uh, it's getting thin now. But but you know, it was Still like good. it was it was it was the thing. You know, it was it was a statement. It was a major major statement. Which um, and I see I see your hair, but a lot of people wear it as a style, which is which is what natural hair became. Mm-hmm. But then again, at last, you can wear your own hair however you want to wear it. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we no longer wanted to be white, look white talk white, act white, but that's not how we were raised, uh, you know, with all the sit-ins and everything. Um, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was supposed to be the good girl, you know, right. with, with those white kind of values. Um, so as it happened in New York, um, I, uh, my name, Adek Balola, was given to me and my ex-husband by a Yoruba priest. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't use it anymore, but I've used it ever since. Uh, it just it just felt right to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I tried to get it legally changed twice and ran into difficulty both times. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, the first time I didn't realize it took money. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, because it's a whole lot of money to get all the documents changed yeah. and everything. And the yeah. second time when I had money, I was I was back here at home and I didn't have a lot of money, but I had enough money to get my name changed. Mm-hmm. And um, what happened was uh, when I uh, when I went to 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 the lawyer to start uh, figuring out what to do, mm-hmm. he told me, Gay, just just wait a while. 
because the city was just changing over to computers and wait until all of that gets straightened out and settled down. And then uh, you can get your name changed. Well, by the time that happened, I'd spent all the money. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, so that was that. <laughs> so now I just tell people that, you know, Adegbalola is my righteous name. Mm-hmm. And um, all my students, I taught for 18 years. So all of them knew me as, um, they couldn't they couldn't call me Miss A until they knew how to say Adegbalola. Right. Yeah. Adegbalola. Adegbalone. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's see, in New York, I worked part-time at the Liberation Bookstore, which was a big mm-hmm. deal. Um, but my ex-husband ran a little loft on 125th Street, and he was the one that had the idea to put a group together called The Last Poets. Mm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they were even before Donnell Lee. They were the first ones to, they were the forerunners of rap, and, um, I was involved with a political organization and we had the first um, Malcolm X Day celebration in Mount Morris Park. And that's where some of the poets first got together. And it was a drummer who was a good friend from North Carolina uh, was on most of their albums. Um, Let's see what else in New York. Oh, the big deal is uh, with five other sisters and, and one guy, we had a, a study group and we met every Wednesday night. And that's where I first read W.E.B. Du Bois. Mm-hmm. That's where I first read Booker T. I first read um, Marcus Garvey, Franz Fanon, uh, Mao Zedong. Um, you know, I got the education that I didn't get in college or in now in my school because my school was all black of course we celebrated black history week and there we learned about you know harriet tubman and george washington carver but now i got to put them in context you know i I, now i see i really could see what it was all about so um, i started reading and i started writing I had my son in New York at Harlem Hospital. I worked at Harlem Hospital as a bacteriologist. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I was using my medical training and I was a union rep. Uh, as life would have it, for many reasons, I moved back to Virginia. Um, well, I like to tell this, this is like na- name dropping. I had been dating, um, you know, the, the um, picture at the Lorraine Motel with everybody pointing to the window uh, mm-hmm. where where the shot came from. Right. Yeah, the guy who took that picture, I'd been dating at the time. So at okay. the time I was still very, 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 very closeted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also at that time was when I first shared a kiss with a woman. And um, I was six months pregnant at the time. Mm-hmm. And the guy I was married to was a good guy. Uh, however, he did get rid of a lot of my slacks and made me wear the gay ladies and the long dresses. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was this whole thing of, you know, if you're really a black revolutionary woman, you got to stand behind your man. Right, right. So that was the going um, philosophy. And stop me and interrupt me if I'm going. No, no, no. I, this is this is great. Uh, it does. I mean, so it was a lot of patriarchal uh, bullshit. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. very much so. However, it was exciting. I mean, you know, we we used to ride the subways and and uh, uh, play the drums and the shakeries and the tambourines and mm-hmm. and then we would. Um, uh, it was at the time. It was the start. Oh, I have a, a a photograph. If you've gone to my website, if you go to my website, mm-hmm. and at the bottom there's like more about gay, and and one of the photos is um, there's Rap Brown and Stokely Carmichael, and they are outside of where the students took over Columbia University mm. with Mark Rudd too. He was from SDS. And 
my son's father, my ex-husband, whatever you want to call him. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole nother Both story. Both in the same. Here it is. That's a whole nother story. Um, he's inside. He's locked inside of the building. Mm. And and uh, Rap and, and Stokely are, are, are outside. But further outside on the streets, a friend of mine from the study group and I, we are on top of a car handing out information and the cops are trying to get us down. <laughs> so you will see that iconic photograph okay. if you go there. Um, I had no fear. Mm. And then um, I was telling, uh, um, oh, these, these kids who are protesting now, that when we sat in back in the day, you just didn't know what was coming at you. You didn't know if they were gonna bring dogs or bring shotguns or bring fire hoses. Uh, luckily, we didn't have that. What's important to note about the sit-ins is that all over the South, we were all sitting in the same four chain stores. Mm. So uh, so once you start hitting people in their pocketbooks, then their hearts change. Right. Okay. But so- We're seeing that now. Yes. Huh? I said we're seeing that now. We're yes. seeing it right now. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, so in, when I was in New York, that's, that was the start of the whole against the war in Vietnam. And um, that was when uh, basically it stopped me from going to marches because we had this whole delegation from Harlem going down in front of the UN. And when we got down there, the, the cops were on horseback in a V formation and they just ran the horses straight through our group. Wow. swinging billy clubs and I could hear the thuds and and uh I told a friend of mine that that I ran there were screams and we were running and I ran down a subway station and got on a train and I was petrified because I didn't know where I was I didn't have a clue I was somewhere in New York but uh anyway um um my husband was arrested uh he was arrested and we had lost a couple of friends in the struggle. Mm. Um, one one friend who was active with uh, SNCC uh, turned on his car engine and the car blew up. Mm. Another friend was found floating in the river in Connecticut. Um, and of course he was running with the last poets and, I, and, and then he was in jail and I was becoming more and more paranoid. Mm-hmm. So I moved back home right. and kind of flailed around for a bit and figured out how to get my master's and I taught eighth grade science. Mm. Yeah. So in your process of moving from New York back home to Virginia, how was the, how was your mental state at that point? I mean, I, I, I heard, I hear you say that you were paranoid and you were mm-hmm. moving from someplace that was much more progressive in terms of mm-hmm. how, you know, black people thought even, and then moving into a place where, you know, the, the mindset was to press your hair and to kind of follow the rules so that mm-hmm. you could get ahead. Mm-hmm. How did that pull at you emotionally and mentally? Uh, it was difficult because my mother was the kind of person that just loved everybody. Mm-hmm. And she just felt my anger. Mm-hmm. Um, she felt, you know, she, she one thing the big difference, you know, I don't know who said it, but the big difference between being being black and being gay is that you don't have to tell your mother that you're black. And <laughs> <Right>. so, yeah, <laughs> and so she could understand some of that. And my dad, I remember him telling me that as militant as he was, he didn't need to wear a loincloth. And that was about my hair. Mm. Uh, I had pierced my nose at one time. And then I needed to borrow some money and I went to my mom and, and she said, oh yeah, that, you know, she gave me $200 and made me promise I would, well, I pierced my nose. The only thread I had was red. Mm. And so I had this big, <laughs> big loop of red thread hanging out of my nose and uh, she was totally <laughs> embarrassed by that. So there were, there were, there were lots of incidences like that. However, at the time my dad was working with a little theater group of young kids and I started working with him and we changed and, and they were just beginning to uh, uh, be awakened and, and enjoy their blackness. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we changed the name of the group to Harambe. Mm-hmm. 
360 degrees. Mm -hmm. And uh, with my father, um, that's where, you know, I got involved with the singing and the dancing and the poetry and the drumming and um, shows, theatrical shows and a black teen pageant and a black arts festival. Mm. And we did that for many, many years until my father passed in 77. And then I carried it on until um, right before my son graduated from high school, which mm. was around 85, 86. Mm. Um, during this time, I'm teaching eighth grade science. Now, in your, in your curriculum of eighth grade science, were you able to incorporate a lot of what you learned to teach your students uh, a little bit more diversity than what the normal curriculum? I, I, got, to, I got them to... This sounds very e egocentric, but they got to love me. Mm. And they saw me, I, I was wearing galas most of the time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of time I had on the long skirts when I first started teaching. And um, I would always play music in class mm. and between class and we would dance and have a good time. And I found a, a, a really good way to teach uh, science with very little equipment, um, which, which became like a model for other teachers. But the kids actually got hands-on science. Right. And they loved it. It's like doing magic, you know. It's like uh, like in the eighth grade when you pile the dishes on the table and you pull away the tablecloth. Right. You know, then I got them. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Uh, now go home and you practice this when you get home. Right. Show your right. parents. <laughs> yeah, right. So that, um, uh, so that I became state teacher of the year in 82. Hmm. And and it was good. So I was able to use my scientific background, though I wasn't in in uh, I wasn't in medicine. You know, I wasn't in that kind of science. Mm -hmm. um, my dad always wanted the theater as an outlet for black youth. Mm -hmm. He wanted them to know theater for theater's sake. He wanted them to uh, eventually, you know become actors in whatever capacity in whatever neighborhood. And my thing was to use the theater to um, teach our culture. Mm -hmm. And so he and I butt heads a few times, but we were, we were basically, you know, we were doing the same, we were on the same um, path. Right. Yeah, on right. the same path. Yeah, so that yeah. was good. Uh, it was in 79, that I started playing guitar. Well, I used to be here at my home, raising my son by myself, closeted like I was, very, very, very closeted. Mm -hmm. uh, I told you about the background of this little town, and right. I'm teaching school. Right. So I was up in the closet with the doors bolted. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, people could think it, but they wouldn't, uh, you'd have to prove it on me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, Ma is my girl. Yeah, She's my yeah. girl. You can have Bessie all you want, but yeah, I will take. Actually, <laughs> when I grow up, I'm gonna be Alberta Hunter. There you go. Now, now, yeah, I tell everybody she wrote Bessie's first song. Hey, and mm -hmm. kept and kept her rights. Yes. Yeah. 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 It was really so, unspoken of. Yes. Huh. I said, which was really unspoken of. I know, yeah. the, at the time, right. Um, so um, as I would, uh, after my son would go to sleep and I'm sitting here, that's when I started uh, pulling out this guitar that I bought from Goldberg. Mm. Yeah, she heard, uh, 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 not John Lee Hooker, uh, who does Candyman? Candyman. So, uh, uh, baby, let me be your candy man. I'll be your salted dog. Run and beat the bucket, get the baby. To... Anyway, uh, in in Cambridge Square, and she had money, so she ran right out the next day and bought her a guitar. And, of course, it sat in the bed in the room, and I finally I bought it from her, a Martin okay. guitar for $150. I paid her $50 at a time. Wow. I pull out my guitar, and I started learning how to uh, finger pick. I learned... I had taken lessons in New York and I had taken some lessons in, in DC, mm -hmm. but, um, but I really 
taught myself some. Um, and I started um, moonlighting in a little club here three nights a week because okay. I needed money. My son was right. sickly. My, my son was legally blind. So, okay. um, yeah, I needed, I needed money. And I wasn't getting any from his father. So uh, I played three nights a week and my mom babysat my son. Um, so in so 84. When did, you, when did you discover that you were different in a, in a way of that you were attracted to women? Um, and that was it when you were younger? Was it when you got a little bit older? When did that first? I knew I liked women before I knew I was black. Mm. Yeah, mm. very much so. Um, they told me that I used to not go to sleep as a, as a baby and a, and a toddler. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go to sleep until the girl next door came and, and would tell me good night. Now the girl next door happened to look like a, a butterscotch colored Liz Taylor. Oh, all right. You're right. <laughs> tuck me in, baby. It's all right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, tuck me in. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. Come tuck me in. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that's what I heard. And, of course, I always had to have the cowboy boots and the gun mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Hopalong Cassidy and what have you. Uh, I played marbles. I would, um, you know, oh, but I got a double Dutch trophy. That's important. Okay. I don't know All what right. it, I don't know where it is, but that's significant. <laughs> you know that's significant. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. So uh yeah, um, but you know, nothing to act on. I was all always called a Tom girl, mm. but you know, and I knew something wrong about it, you know. Mm. unacceptable. I knew it was something unacceptable about it, but I also knew that that's who I was. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And then I think when I was about six years old, my mom and I were downtown before Christmas and there was a, a soda fountain in a people's drugstore and I wanted to go in and get a soda. And she told me I couldn't. Mm. And, um, I was shocked. I, I remember that. I was shocked. I was shocked because I only thought it was 200 people in the world. Mm. And um, that, you know, we were just some of the, you know, that's a small number. And then to have a handful of us not to be able to go in there and have a soda. Right. Um, yeah, I came face to face with discrimination. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. mm. So in your process of coming out of the closet, at what point did that really happen for you? Um, you mean totally? I, I told you I had my first kiss was was uh, when I was pregnant. And oh my God, bells rung and it was the first love. And, <laughs> and she, she said, oh no, this is, this is not who I am, really. It was just a beautiful setting. And we were high on weed. And we were out in this beautiful, beautiful park with a little creek and a, on, a, on a bridge that was a rope bridge. And, mm. and John Coltrane was playing and it was just like, oh. Everything was right. <laughs> yeah, everything was right. The scene was set. Right. And and she instigated it and it was a kiss and it was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. This is it. Mm. This is it. And then when she said, oh, no, 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 that's not the life for me. I was still in New York at the time. And that was mm. mainly what what made me move back home. Mm. Yeah, mm. I couldn't I couldn't deal with it. it was it was that first heartbreak. There's no pain right. in the world any greater than your first heartbreak. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in no, no, you know, you get no, and plus you're in the closet and you can't talk about it. I couldn't even talk about it to my friends at yeah. the time. Yeah. And I knew, like, I was right around the corner up the street from Nikki Giovanni. And I know several other women who were in the life at the time, but we really didn't talk about it to each mm -hmm. other. Right. Right. So when did you fully come out as? Okay. Um I guess I fully came out. Well, well, I couldn't come out during the time I was teaching, not fully. But I had 
uh, I had a significant relationship during the time I was teaching, but I was still in the closet. And then I was more or less in the room because I started to, there was some community here in Fredericksburg. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember on my first solo recording, which was in 99, there's a song called uh, Front Door Blues. And it's a bouncy kind of ragtime tune. It goes, uh, I got all my stuff out of the closet. All my stuff is out of the closet. All my stuff is out of the closet. I can't walk through that front door. Mm. I got all my spirits up. I couldn't take it no more. Down the hall, down the down and unlock down the hall, down the steps. Unlock the door, then bam, my foot is nailed to the floor. Got all my stuff out of the car. So it was at that point I did this big powwow with myself because Sapphire went on the road in 88. Mm -hmm. Ann Rapson gave me a button, you know, that you pin on your clothes that said closets are for clothes. And she just laughed and gave it to me because she knew that I was still being closeted and I didn't have the excuse of being a school teacher now. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, so in 99 with that song, I made the decision to say, she's got all of her stuff out of the closet Mm -hmm. instead of I've got all my stuff out of the closet because I wasn't ready to jump in the deep end of the pool, as it were. Yeah. Um, But then the next year or two, I just wrote another song called I Got Big Ovaries, Baby, and uh, big enough to speak my mind. Um, So here's where where the conflict comes in, based on uh, one of the questions she wrote. we used to do a lot of um, songs from the 20s and 30s. And if you do it authentically, then all you got is Prove It On Me and, and Tricks Ain't Walking and um, some of the, um, um, oh God, I'm forgetting names right there. <laughs> but um, Shave Them Dry, Lucille Bogan, Lucille Bogan songs and, and some of that kind of stuff. Unless you're doing those, then it's all my man, my man, right. my man. Right. And so if you're gonna be true to, um, if you're gonna be authentic about the music you're doing, then you wanna keep it as they did it. And you make little changes in it, like 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 with Billie Holiday uh, singing, um, uh, if I'm beat up by my papa, swear that I won't call no copper. Well, hell no, we ain't gonna sing that. Right. You know, right. we're not gonna sing that. So we make changes to it, but still, if you change the pronoun, mm-hmm. it really changes the meaning of the entire song. Mm-hmm. So that's where uh, the problem comes in. The other thing is, is that Sapphire never played a women's circuit. Oh, really? Not at all. Never. Wow. I mean, we we would have a gig here or a gig there. We played Michigan one time, one time. And I'll, I'll tell you what happened. This was probably in 91 when we had our original bass player. We got booked there. All the paperwork said nothing about no men were coming mm-hmm. to the concert. And our bass player was... Um, having her 25th wedding anniversary and her husband was meeting her in Michigan to be with her. Well, that created a big problem. Yes. Yes. And then, and then we discussed um, the whole idea of segregating any person. Mm -hmm. At that time we did not see because like I said, we were in a in a blues, we were in the blues world. We were heavy in the blues circuit. Um, we would have been pissed if anybody had banned women. Right. Or if anybody, yeah. I stopped taking Living Blues magazine because at the time Living Blues magazine would not have a white person in it. Mm. And Sapphire was a black, a Jew, and a hillbilly. 
you know, we were we were a model for the world to see, and all of us were singing blues, mm-hmm. and we were and we were doing that um, based on the fact that blues is about that which gives you trouble. Right. And we had plenty to sing about. We 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 opened up more women's minds, probably going the route we did, in that the women's circuit was basically lesbians. Not that we made a choice. It's just the music we did because it was the music we loved. Right. Yeah. Right. And Anne was the engine. The, she was the piano player and she was ass kicking. She passed in 2013 and I was the main writer for the group. Yeah. So in your, in the blues world, did you, I mean, do you feel there's been a lot of changes in the blues world. It's gotten real white. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's gotten real, real white. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was even a wake up call for me uh, coming to St. Louis and um, knowing the history of mm-hmm. the music of St. Mm-hmm. Louis. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I go out to some of these jam sessions and things and, you know, they have these blues bands and most of them are white. Mm-hmm. And so how do you think that, how do you feel about that, that shift in the music and, and, um, <laughs> you know, really the fact that they, they sort of took a lot from us uh, that really are, that and don't even know the blues, don't even know what the blues is. Right. Yeah. And it originated with our community. Well, at seven this morning, I was flipping off a letter to the Blues Foundation. Mm-hmm. That's the organization that puts on the Blues Music Awards. Mm-hmm. When I joined in the late 80s, it, uh, the awards used to be in November, and the handies were presented. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a big upheaval, a big mess. The man who started it was a man named Joe Saverin, who was from Memphis, and the whole awards were uh, totally interracially mixed. You had all of the black folks from Jackson and who were on Malico records. Mm -hmm. And you had all the people from Chicago on Alligator records. We were on Alligator too. But uh, then you had a whole delegation that used to be, if you were in the Bay Area, you probably know Eli's Mile High Club Mm -hmm. and and that whole contingency. So anyway, it was this wonderful melting pot. So they had all this trouble. The the offices were locked down. Joe was locked out. Uh, The board was changed. People even paid money to be on the award show. And when the smoke cleared, the foundation was saved, the awards were saved, the award ceremony, but now the awards are no longer the handies, they're now the Blues Music Awards. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the people this morning, I flipped off this letter and said, in the blink of an eye, you wrote a black man out of history, you wrote a black man, you took away his honor. This man was the original uh, uh, publisher, he was the original transcriber. Mm-hmm. He was the one that formatted 12 Bar Blues and you just took his name away, mm-hmm. you know? So I would like to see about getting his name put back on it. I figured the time was right, right? right. <laughs> and and uh, you know, what channels do I have? What do I need to do? Because right. it's, it was just another black man written out of history. And then I, uh, my last paragraph said, um, the Blues Awards have gotten whiter and whiter. Just saying, you know this, you know, you know yeah. this. At least make one step toward correcting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Black people are pissed. Yeah. So uh, do you know about the Just Blues Awards? Yes. Okay. Although I've, I've, not, I've not seen anything about it. I've not been on their newsletter for some it's time. good. Girl, it's good. It's good. I, I received one last year and went down to Tunica, Mississippi, and they were to celebrate their 20th year this year. But of course, it's not happening now. Right, right. But you have all the Black blues artists all over the South, mm-hmm. all over the South. And um, yeah. Do you, um, find do you know? Um, to huh? get, do you find it harder now? I mean, before the pandemic, was it? Do you did you find it harder to? get those gigs in some of the places that maybe you had played before that now are more uh, centered around white blues players? Um, well, not really, because I'm only working two or three jobs a month. That's what okay. I was doing. 
and it either needs to be lucrative or fun, ideally both. Mm-hmm. But um, for me to travel like that and to put together a tour, that's basically not what I'm doing. I was going to do it around the Blues Musical, uh, Just Blues Awards. I was going to play in Houston and then uh, go to Jackson and then go up to Tunica. And then I was going to go to Memphis and fly out to um, to a women's festival in Michigan and fly back home. So that was going to be a nice little circuit, but I don't do that kind of stuff anymore. I'm too, girl, I'm too old. I am, I'm tired. I was tired. I was tired and I was weary, but I must toil on. Yeah, right. so, yeah, right. You know, so I'm having a good time doing the front porch. By the way, they cut off my whole thing on, on uh, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, and uh, that was upsetting. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And then last week I did uh, a song that I had written after the Rodney King beating in 92. It was called If It Had Been right. a Dog. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one that you sent me. Yeah, yeah that's that a was great one song. I sent yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, that was in, that was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Same, same exact situation. Same situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, what did you ask me? You asked me something about, oh, the whiteness of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't mind the whiteness of it when they're really good. Mm-hmm. But I don't mind the whiteness when they got soul. Mm-hmm. I don't mind the whiteness when they give their propers to the to the backs they're standing on. Exactly. Yes. But I had I, I was on a panel at the um International Blues Challenge in January mm-hmm. and it was about women in the blues and uh, um, I was told, don't do or say anything political. Well, how is that possible? (laughs) (laughs) What? I said, yeah, the woman who's, the woman who's having this, who's spearheading the moderator on the panel uh, is a woman named Dr. Marie Trout who happens to be married to Walter Trout, who is a renowned guitar slinger in the blues world. Um, and she told me point blank, she said, well, you know, most of our audience, or at least half of the audience, every gig, they are, you know, right-wing Trump people. Mm. And I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah. And you don't say nothing? Right. I said, well, I'll tell you one thing. If one of them comes up in here with a little red hat on, with a mega a mega hat on, it's yeah. going to be me and them. <laughs> they got to take it off before anybody will get a microphone. Yeah. And, um, you know, so she and I have, have had a dialogue back and forth. And she understands the how bad her situation is. But she's right. trying to make a living, too. And see, ain't nobody in the blues world. The blues world probably has a handful, literally a handful of people who are making a good living at it. You know, right. yeah. Uh, most of us, we're just bumping along and we're doing it because we love it. Black or white, we love it. It's something about the blues that just bites you in the ass. And there you are. You know, yeah. there you yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it bites you in the ass and then feeds you a good meal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All at the same yeah, time. It's like, you know, <laughs> I'm I've done okay. You know, Sapphire, we were we were smart enough. We had small group insurance. We bought a decent van. When we got to a certain age, we did all of our travel on airplanes. Mm-hmm. And um and uh we and when we ended after 25 years, um we had a we didn't know it. But our accountant had put aside money for us, and we had a, a, a what do you call it? You know, the money IRA. Mm. She had set aside an IRA for us. You know, that's all right. It's yeah. like that's all right. <laughs> that's all right. That's yeah. all right. Beat the hell out of teaching. I'm gonna tell you that. And I was a good teacher. I'm gonna, I mean to tell you, I was a good teacher. And it was, and I taught real well, and I enjoyed it, and I helped a whole lot of children. But damn, children can wear you out. Yes. <laughs> yes. Have you taught it all? It's very true. Doing it and teaching. It's very true. <laughs> uh, 
I said, yes, that is very true. They can't wear you out. Yes. I asked you, had you done any teaching? Oh, yes, ma'am. I uh, was actually this past school year, I was teaching theater. That's so sweet. I like that. Yes, ma'am. I like that. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate that. Tell your mama I appreciate that. All right. I'll let her know. Okay. You let her know that. That's what you should be doing. <laughs> yeah, so I taught uh, theater, and it was it was a wonderful experience, and it was a wonderful experience too. Yeah, well, I had, you I have taught, elementary school. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, and I had third through eighth grade because it's a charter school. Uh-huh. But you don't want to you don't want to make your living at it for too long. Huh? Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, you know, I I love them. I do. I love them. They're great. Uh, but you know, I I will say. As rewarding as it was, it was also just extremely exhausting. Mm -hmm. And then trying to do that and then just trying to do this music thing full time. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think I could do it on a part time basis, which Mm -hmm. is what I was doing before. But I think Mm -hmm. trying to do it full time would be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be hard. It'd be hard. It'd be hard. Yeah. When I was uh, teaching full time and and working three nights a week, I almost died. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just. Yeah. You know, because you give, you give, you give. And then doing the lesson plans, that's mm-hmm. the hard part. I taught eighth grade, and they don't know from one day to the next if they're men and women or boys and girls. Right, you know? exactly. And it then the little girls are growing age. up. Yeah, they had their periods, and the little boys are still plucking each other on the back of the head. <laughs> Come here. Yeah. Sit down. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it is very true to see them go like in uh-huh. a moment to go uh-huh. from being like this little kid uh-huh. to then all of a sudden like hey, right. treat me like I'm and I'm like, hold on. <laughs> you need to decide on who you want to be yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You gotta tell me who you are today. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, ma'am. So when you when you um traveled with Sapphire, and I know you said you did the songwriting, um uh, you know, a lot well, of I wrote some, but my songs okay. happen to be the quote unquote hits. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So when you did when you did your songwriting, mm-hmm. I, I mean, even listening to your music now, I, you know, it all has a potent message. So but in the process of you discovering who you are. Do you have the Grio? Do you have the Grio? My last CD? Yes, I, I found it. I have it okay. from your website. Okay, good, good. And so, um, but in your process of writing, did your message change over the years? Because I, I hadn't listened to, um, I've only listened to your most recent music. So okay. in your earlier music, though, did, did your writing change over the years in terms of like changing those pronouns? And um, even in terms of your views on politics, was it, mm-hmm. ha- has it changed over the years or is it still sort well, of? Well, I would say that since, um well, let's say for Sapphire's uh, final co- concert, I, I, I mainly did I'm here, I'm queer, get over it, you know, uh, in Fredericksburg here for the whole world to see. Okay. And I was fully out by that time. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have Gay Without Shame? No, I, mean, I think not. the only okay. one that I, I... That's in 2008. Okay. And that's wide open. That that got an award from uh, Out, Virginia, Out, uh, Outstanding Virginia award. Um, yeah, no, i tell you one thing that I did because I was so steeped in my blackness mm. is that even though I was working with uh, a Jew and a hillbilly mm-hmm. and, 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 and we gave each other those names of black, a Jew and a hillbilly. Say, so what happens with a black, a Jew and no, a hillbilly walk, a walk into a bar? <laughs> they make good music. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But we would get the, the main, um, the main uh, uh, oppression that we got was probably from sound techs. Mm. You know, they don't want you to tell them how oh, how we yeah. want it. Like like we don't know what we want after twenty five yes. years. Yeah. yeah, and they were much more prejudiced than musicians were. Mm. Um, what did you ask me about? You asked me just oh, in terms no, of no, your no. writing. So so for every CD that we put out, everyone. I made sure that I wrote at least one song that was fully strong and fully uh, affirming Mm. some rights. Um, Like the first Sapphire recording that was on Alligator. And Alligator, you probably know this, but it's the biggest label in the blues world. Mm -hmm. Um, And he pays royalties. I still get royalty checks after, you know, 
we ended in in 2009 and I still get royalty checks. Well, that's the way it should be. uh, That's the way it should be. But anyway, on that first uh, CD, uh, uh, we did Middle Age Blues, which was about giving permission to love a younger man, Mm. um, uh, which women really ate that one up and it won a handy award. Uh, There's a song called Fess Up When You Mess Up, um, uh, which was about doing crack. Um, there was a song called School Teacher Blues. I got nothing to lose but my pay, and that ain't nothing. Athletes, politicians, jet sets, snort cocaine. All I snort is chalk dust. It's blowing out my brain. Um, my fingers have turned purple. Turned, that's a good word. My fingers have turned purple. My master's like I chewed it. My mind is getting warped from inhaling ditto fluid. And, <laughs> so, you know. Like, uh, and, and then the last verse goes, oh, noble education, rising tide of mediocrity. I point my finger to the home and I view hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so every, every one we did had a flat out straight in your face, mm-hmm. do something about the situation kind of song. I, I made sure of that. Mm. That uh, song I sent you today, that was on our third CD. That was Mm. in 92. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So I just just have a few more questions for you and then we can uh, wrap up. My first question is, um, in all of the years that you have done the work that you've done, both uh, in terms of activism and musically, um, how have you been able to practice self-love? Well, I can speak to right now easier. I, I have a wonderful love in my life right now. Mm. And um, she's very religious. She was raised Pentecostal. Mm. Um, she's a God-fearing woman mm-hmm. and a God-talking woman. Mm-hmm. And um, she not only helps me to love myself, she really helps me to love other people. And she reflects to me um, the way other people see me mm. and and how to be. Like she won't let me call, she won't let anybody call anybody ugly. Mm. She will stop you dead in your tracks mm-hmm. and say, oh no, that's not. Yeah, and so that kind of love um, permeates everything around me right now. And she's a liquor drinker. I like liquor. That helps with the self-love. I'm drinking Natty Head right now. Do you you know what Natty Head is? Do y'all call it Natty Head? (laughs) No, we haven't called it that. Okay, Natty Head is, uh, and I'm going to get some more in a minute. Natty Head is Seagram's Gin. It's in a bottle that's real bumpy. Oh, the bottle okay. is like bumpy and everybody calls it night ahead. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> so my son said, Mama, I was in college and I was in the, in the ABC store walking around looking for night ahead. <laughs> Couldn't find it nowhere. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And she loves crabs and I'm allergic to shellfish. But anyway, uh, in, in uh, uh, 2017, I had spine surgery. Mm. And it was the first time I was just totally helpless. Mm. And I was uh, not in a relationship at the time and undergoing a mean relationship at the time, getting out, Mm. extracting myself from a terrible relationship. And um, and it was hard to love myself. Yeah, uh, I guess one of the one of the main things just to answer you is that I have time making time for what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. and that's a that's an active thing. I'm very much at peace. I can watch all kinds of mindless drivel on TV and be happy as a pig and slop. <laughs> Give me a good episode of Mom, and I'm just. <laughs> I think that's the greatest writing on television right now. I just, you know, and I just love it. That's fine. But like today, I would really love to have been sitting with my guitar. Mm. And I had a couple of ideas of songs I wanted to tweak. Mm. And um, 
And I've been so busy the entire day, like starting with that letter to the Blues Foundation. Mm-hmm. And I'm vice president of our NAACP. And, and we were dealing with three different projects on the phone, trying to be supportive to the mm-hmm. protesters, you know. We can't be out there and all of us are feeling guilty because we really want to be out there, you know. Really well, you're still doing the work, though. I just want to point that out. You're still yeah, doing the yeah, work. Yeah, still doing the work, but Lord knows I really want to be out yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. See them people behind you on the wall? Yes. The one on my right? Yeah, um, I want to be just like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I can't. That's all, yeah, that's how I'm yeah, feeling. I couldn't run if I wanted to. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, so, anyways, um, no, I've I've had a hard time. I, I, well, one thing I've made a living doing what I love, mm-hmm. and I love entertaining people, and I do that. But things that I would like to do for myself, like right here, right now, mm-hmm. I have a hard time. Yeah, I got today. I got. No, about two weeks ago, I got a long email from this young black fella in Texas. Mm. It had five songs attached to it. Now, you know, how long does it take you to listen to five songs? <laughs> That's like 15 minutes right there. Oh, no. on. One of them was seven minutes and 18 oh. seconds. And, okay, so. okay, all right. Okay, <laughs> so I knew that like, how did this boy find me, this young man? <laughs> how did he find me? Just like I asked you, how did you find me? Right. Right. right? Okay. So um, I wrote him back a couple of weeks ago. I wrote five people. I blind copied six, seven, eight people. I blind copied all of them and said, I just don't have time to write to you now. I will write you when I can. Mm-hmm. So today I was determined that I was going to write two of those eight people. But I didn't realize that my man had a half hour of music for me to listen to. <laughs> and he, he sent me a note that he was a singer-songwriter. Well, out of the five songs, only two were originals, and the other three were Changes Go to Come, Dr. the mm-hmm. Bay, recorded at a club right. from about, you know, 30 yards away. So <laughs> it was like, well, this poor fella. Right. Um, he doesn't yeah. even have... He can't even play a guitar. He doesn't have a band. He doesn't have anything. But he has gone on this computer and he found my name. Mm-hmm. And, and his two originals were blues songs. And his voice is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Now, am I going to spend my time writing this white woman at the Blues Foundation? Or am I going to spend my time writing this young man who just needs encouragement. Right. Yeah. Obvious choice. <laughs> Obvious choice. So he and I have written each other three times. <laughs> That's all right. That's what happened to my guitar. I didn't play the guitar. I didn't yes. play it. I haven't touched the guitar all day. I have not touched the guitar. But you were sewing in to somebody else, which yeah, yeah. Obviously- I was I was telling him, and I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to be mean to him. Mm-hmm. But what he sent me was not good, mm-hmm. and the two originals, I'd heard the messages before, but his mm-hmm. voice was wonderful. So I had to tell him. I said, Look, so then his thing was the second response was maybe we can collaborate on something. It's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Work to do. no yeah. I'm too old for this. <laughs> I wrote back and said, honey, uh, young man, I'm 76 years old. I collaborated once in my life and it was an awful experience. <laughs> awful, awful, awful. No, we won't be collaborating. I said, but at my age, I can give you advice. Mm. I said, first of all, don't be sending people with cell phones. You don't need to send anybody a bad image from a club with somebody mm-hmm. singing louder than you are, you know, and just, yeah, he yeah. just didn't know. Yeah. Didn't know. Yeah. So, but uh, it is important to have, you know, uh, I, I know for everything that I've learned, I've learned through, um, 
listening and watching, you know, I mean, that's how I think we all learn is just by watching mm -hmm. uh, what others are doing to learn the right, the right way to do it anyway, if you're talking about doing this full time. Yeah. And so that really mm -hmm. brings me to my last question. If you were to offer advice to a young queer woman trying to find her way, mm -hmm. uh, what would you say to her? What would you offer her? As a performer, somebody in the arts? In the arts, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, I would say that if you are a musician, a songwriter, the same rules apply, whether you are straight or gay or black or white or young or old. You want to tell a universal story in a unique way. Mm. Okay. You want to tell a story that people can grasp people being whoever your audience is, mm -hmm. okay? And and you want to give them something that's either going to excite them or make them laugh or make them think, but you got to bring something new to the table if you want to be, if you want to make a living at it, mm -hmm. you know? Otherwise, just be a cover band doing karaoke. Um, yeah, that would be my advice to them. I think, you know, now that I've, I've been playing the women's, women, W-O-M-Y-N-S mm -hmm. circuit more. So, and I would also say that it's much harder to rewrite than it is to write. Because mm. you write and you think everything is wonderful, but then you go back and you know it's not as strong or as beautiful or as funny as you think it is. So in order to craft it, you really have to uh, you really have to work at crafting every single word. I do hope that you enjoyed this interview with Gay Adegbalola. Please be sure to follow the links attached to the podcast for ways to connect with her and be sure to follow her on Facebook where you'll find some of her live virtual concerts. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes to come. Be well, be blessed. One love.